Welcome to Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. I'm Tony Connolly. Thanks so much for joining the pod. Well, by the time this airs, we will have gone through an election. And I'm always curious to learn how elections affect the markets, the stock markets, and folks who are trying to save for retirement. And also, we can learn a little bit more about the economy from Doug Adler, who's the Senior Vice President of Investments at Adler Wealth Management of Raymond James and Associates. Doug is one of the smartest guys I know and tuned in to what's going on with the markets, and we welcome him today. Doug, how are you? Tony, fantastic, sir. Thanks. All right. Probably the most important thing I can do is to see who you think is going to be the winner of the Michigan-Michigan State football game. <laughs> That's a set-up <laughs> question, isn't it? <laughs> I kind of think the folks in Ann Arbor, obviously, based on what we've seen so far this season, seem like yeah. they have the edge on their side. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. I wouldn't bet against Michigan, but the state has won 10 out of the last 14 games. So it can happen. So we'll see. So before I even get to the markets and the election, if there's anything I've learned from you over the years is you better be in the stock market for the long haul because it is a roller coaster. And I tell you, man, that ride, I think, is too rough for most people these last six months to a year. No question about that, Tony. To your point, it's been a rough ride for sure. The interesting thing about it, though, is when we take our time frames, and it's hard to do as investors, of course, because when losses happen, they're real. And this year they've been generally substantial. You know, at worst, the NASDAQ was down approximately 35% and then the S&P 500 around 25. So both of those major indices in bear markets, which we kind of quantify as something greater than 20% to the downside. And so, you know, that's happened. But I have to say, you know, the thing is, is when psychology gets so bad and it really did fall off the table in September. And I think there's a lesson in here for investors is that the market made lows, Tony, for the year originally in June. June 16th was the price low. So then we had a nice rally into August. And then the Federal Reserve had some comments that spooked the market. So September was one of the worst Septembers ever. And we hit the bottom for 30th. And some of the major indices were lower by a bit, not a lot, but a little bit lower than they were in June. Some were a little bit higher than they were in June. And we call that a positive divergence where you didn't just have wholesale selling, you did have some selectivity in the selling, which was different than June. Here's the point of really all that. So it felt worse for people. I think this is kind of maybe the lesson. It felt worse in September because it was a one-way street and it just felt like this never going to end, right? Things are terrible, whether it's policy coming out of Washington, gas prices going back up, just in inflation, you know, all these things that we're all concerned about and have thrown in front of us every day. But markets were really kind of at the same price they were three months earlier. And then now what's happened is you had a phenomenal rally here in October where the Dow is up over 4,000 points, one of the best Octobers ever after we just got done with one of the worst Septembers ever. So that's where this kind of elongation of your view of things, because month to month, sometimes even year to year, psychology, investor psychology is just such a force on prices. And we've seen that this year where fear got high and stocks got hit 
you know, really good. And we'll talk here, I'm sure, in a second about how earnings and the economy actually look. The point of all that, again, is things can change fast. And when you're invested in the stock market, you ought to be thinking long term because things really can move all over the place over short periods of time. Doug, what affects the market the most? Because it doesn't appear that politics do that other factors do. What makes it move the way it does? Because it appears to be its own beast. It's a really good question, Tony. And there's probably two sides to speak to. The short term, let's, let's just call that you know, a year or less, and then something longer than five years. On the short term, we always, I think, as investors lose sight of the fact that the stock market is an auction house. And right, people are bidding on stocks every day. It's New York Stock Exchange and you see the ticker tape and prices go up and they go down and the news tells you every night, hey, the Dow was up 127 points. It was down 83. So human psychology being what it is, it's a really big factor over short periods of time. Here's an example. So we just got the report yesterday, preliminary, but it'll be directionally right. Third quarter gross domestic product was positive. The economy as a whole, expanded by 2.6% in the third quarter. And the last month or so, when I would interact with clients, one of the things I kept bringing them back to, despite all the gloom and doom, was that under the surface, the economy actually looks pretty good. And earnings for third quarter, which we're getting now, we actually have almost 70% of the S&P 500 is reported. And 69% have come in better than expected, and earnings growth is up about 3.5%. So when you think about what stocks have done, definitely a disconnect, at least thus far, with the economy and corporate profits. So that's kind of the short-term thing. The markets can do whatever they want day-to-day, and that's kind of unknowable because you just don't know who's going to show up, the optimist or the pessimist. But on the long term, it's really kind of fascinating that corporate profits track really dollar for dollar with, let's say, the Dow Jones average or the S&P 500. And over a long period of time, let's say the last 50 years, you might have profits up, gosh, I don't know what they're up, 2,000%, something like that. And the market's up the same. And that's what happens over the long term is the market is going to track the value of a company and what indicates the value of the company for a rational marketplace, and markets are rational over longer periods of time, is earnings. And earnings kind of grow consistently over time, and therefore stocks go up. It's really not that hard of an equation if we can get our emotion to you know, get out of the way and not make us make bad decisions a lot of times because we're scared. It's interesting that even though things can be looked at on a positive note for those living paycheck to paycheck or day to day, times are not as positive. We'll talk a little bit more about that when we come back. We're talking with Doug Adler from Raymond James and Associates. I'm Tony Conley. This is Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. Sonair has been advancing communities and providing opportunities for people in Michigan for more than 25 years. Through lending, investments, and the creation of homes and jobs, Sonair has made a combined $7 billion impact on the communities they serve. Learn more at www.sonair.com. Welcome back to Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. I'm Tony Conley. We're talking with Doug Adler, who's the Senior Vice President of Investments at Adler Wealth 
management of Raymond James and Associates. When we talk about 401ks in the last two years, it looks like they've taken a hit. What's your take on that, Doug? And how does the market respond to that? Prayer? That's a joke, right? Prayer is probably not a strategy for the stock market, but it can't hurt. So yeah, it's been a tough time, Tony, but it's really pretty rational. If you look back last year, 2021, pretty euphoric conditions in the market. As we know, vaccines came to pass for the COVID pandemic and people kind of had large swaths of the country had kind of tired of COVID. So the economy was opening back up. Uncle Sam had pumped in about $8 trillion in various forms of stimulus into the system. And that was part of the problem that you saw when you went to the store, not the grocery store as it relates to inflation, but trying to buy stuff, you couldn't find it. And a lot of that had to do is we had this huge you know, demand pull, right? There was just people are home, they had time, and they were flush because of this $8 trillion. So there was so much demand for goods that it exasperated the supply chain issues. Now, fast forward to 2022, Federal Reserve starts to raise rates. A lot of demand was filled and pulled forward in late 20 and certainly in 2021. So you had kind of some natural cooling. And then, of course, we had inflation. So all these are what we would really view as cyclical headwinds in the confines, by the way, of what we believe is a secular bull market. And we're just going through a bear market inside of this longer uptrend, you know, Time will tell if that's a view of things, but it looks and feels like it. And then now, bring us to entering November of 22, you're starting to see the other side of this. So you had commented in the last segment about inflation, and it's hard for a lot of people, understandably. The cost increase across the board, have the speed has been almost unprecedented, the velocity. But here's where we're at now. If you look under the surface again, and you start to see hey, what's kind of happening, commodities anywhere from industrial metals like aluminum and copper. Of course, we all see at the gas station, crude oil is down over 30% from its high. It's $83 a barrel today. It was 123.70 or so peak over the summer. Lumber's down almost 70% since March. And then even on the agriculture side, despite what's happened with Russia and Ukraine, and that's a big impact on for crops, but oats, wheat, corn, they're all well off their highs. And so what is going to be happening as we move forward is you're going to start to see the benefit of those lower input costs. In fact, Apple reported last night their quarterly results, and they commented specifically, the CEO did, that their input costs are coming down. So those inflation pressures are starting to abate. And that's ultimately going to happen broadly when housing starts to show up in the consumer price index, the inflation report. There's some lags to that, but we think early 2023, the picture is going to look a lot better on the inflation front. Well, it's interesting that you say that because depending on where you go for your news, there are many who think that we're in a recession. I have a wife who is a wholesale mortgage broker. That whole industry is in a tank right now and no one sees it getting better because it looks like the Fed is going to raise rates again. And even though things are coming down, if you look, you know, prior to 2000, they're not nearly at those levels. So it doesn't seem that way to a lot of people. Yeah. So, and Tony, just to make sure I'm tracking with you, with respect to 2000, you just saying that things haven't come down to the magnitude they came down at that time? 
Correct, because it's obvious that when President Biden took office, a lot of things changed. I'm not going to put the blame anywhere, but if you look at where the economy was, what the price of gas was, so on, the cost of food, it's totally different. I know we've had a pandemic. That just came to mind because you mentioned things are seeming to look better, but they're not nearly where they need to be. That's for sure. So I'm kind of talking about it from the investor. Investor point of view, right. Yeah, yeah, maybe not at the household level, because I know it's challenging for a lot of households, which is awful, of course. But from an investor standpoint, the news doesn't need to be as good as it was, or prices don't need to be as low as they were. What the market needs to see, investors want to see, and I think we're seeing that, things are getting better. They're not good relative to where they were, but they're better than they were. Mm-hmm. And that's where this whole discussion we've had about investor psychology really starts to kick in. I mean, there's a reason, Tony, that the Dow is up almost 15% in a month Mm -hmm. because psychology has just totally flipped. And yes, the Federal Reserve is almost assuredly going to raise rates in November. They probably will again in December. But the market looks past all of that. And I will tell you on the interest rate side, the bond market knows what I just said. So that's not just, you know, Doug Adler has some special news about Fed policy, right? The world knows rates are going up one or two more times probably. But the bond market already reflects that. So interest rates have already gone up. Like with your wife and her business, there's a reason mortgages on 30 years now are at 7% because the bond market is adjusting higher in front of the Federal Reserve. But here's the thing. The stock market doesn't really care so much about November and December. It really wants to know, what does it look like next summer? What's June and July August look like. And stocks will start to reflect where we're going. And the clouds do appear. I'm not saying they've cleared because they certainly haven't, but cracking, Tony. And you're starting to see some sunlight come through. I think that's where you're getting now some of this investor optimism. And I think that picture is going to get better. Because your point about housing, I just want to speak to this for a second. Inflation report has a 30% input from shelter, rents, houses. And some of that data is six to 12 months old. So there's a significant lag, which is why we're seeing over 8% headline inflation still. But for those of us that live in the real world, we know that housing has rolled over, right? The bubble has popped. not saying the price bubble, but the demand has popped. There is no doubt about it. And you think forward now, with mortgages were a year ago this time, 3%. Now they're about 7 Well, that's over 100% increase. So Go forward demand is going to be lessened just because of the cost to borrow is so much higher now. So housing may actually get into a sustainable you know, kind of groove, so to speak, and actually may end up affording that entry level home, which was really difficult to get during the last two years because prices were just going up so fast. And then rates went up and that just sort of shut the market off. But if we start to slow, you should see... Rates start to come in again, and we're already seeing supply, housing supply is growing. So you can see the markets, and that's where I was kind of going earlier, Tony, when I said this just seems like kind of a cyclical cycle where you get the Fed raises rates and things are kind of frothy, and then the frost starts to dissipate, and then things start to cool. Then the Federal Reserve ultimately goes to neutral monetary policy. They're restrictive right now. They'll go neutral, and then if things slow more, they'll become accommodative, meaning they'll start to cut rates. And it's kind of, you know, the business cycle, and I think it's happening. And I think that's what the stock market, particularly in October, is saying is, hey, we've probably taken 
I'm not calling the end of the bear, bear market, but if we're not at the lows, I think we are in the late inning. And the market seems to be kind of testifying to that. Doug Adler is with Adler Wealth Management of Raymond James. When we come back, we're going to talk to Doug about the market and elections. Tony Conley, this is Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. offers a home equity line of credit because frequent watering of your houseplants may be recommended. Now can we get a new roof? Not so much the rest of the house. Want the best rates for a home equity line of credit? Ask for LaughQ. Stop in today or go to LaughQ.com slash home equity. LaughQ, your credit union for life. Welcome back to Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. I'm Tony Conley. We're talking with Doug Adler. Doug, what does the market think of elections? How does it react? And again, I'm not necessarily wanting to get into a Republican or a Democratic or an independent kind of deal here, but I just want to know what does it think about elections and how does it decide it's going to react? The market definitely likes a hung jury, which is to say a split between the White House and Congress. And those that aren't big fans of government will like this statement. Those that are in favor of big government will be against this. But it's kind of when they're hung, they can't really do any harm. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, big businesses and ultimately, of course, small businesses, because small businesses feed big businesses. So it's all intertwined. They're adapting around policy all the time. And when there's less policy coming out, and you tend to the more egregious policy when you have total control by either the Republicans or the Democrats. And I think this year we've seen, you know, what that kind of looks like with the, the inflation bill, student loan forgiveness. You know, some of those things are kind of contradictory to a Federal Reserve that's trying to tap back inflation where we're cranking out another trillion plus in, you know, stimulus. So, you know, you like kind of scratch your head and you look at that. Then the flip side is, you know, let's give the Republicans a little grief too. You know, the tax cuts that President Trump pushed through, those obviously did some damage to the federal deficit. So when there's less capacity to do harm, it's generally good. And I think, candidly, some of this rally, and it's been substantial in October for stocks, is on the heels of what looks like a big move towards the Republicans, you know, in the last couple of weeks. And that sets up Democrat in the White House and maybe Republicans, at least in the U.S. House and perhaps the Senate as well. And I think the market likes it. Doug, the markets and petroleum versus the green initiative. What's the market think of that battle? Well, the market's different than what the public thinks. The market thinks, how do I say this in a nice way? The market doesn't believe it. I'll just say it that way. And the reason for that is if you just look at the math, the transition, and let's just talk about electric vehicles or green uh, solar, wind for electric power generation. This is a multi-decade endeavor. Mm -hmm. I think large swaths of the country think it's, you know, you snap your fingers and away you go. Well, how many charging stations have you seen since the infrastructure bill passed be put in the ground? None of them here. Exactly. Yeah, it's not even happening. The automakers don't have the capacity to produce the cars if we all wanted to switch over tomorrow. 
And I'll tell you the other thing that really kind of troubles me with this is it's going to be cost prohibitive for folks that are on the lower side of the economic scale because mm-hmm. the cost is so much higher. And I just think we're kind of missing that piece of it in this. I'm not disputing where we might want to try to go. I think everyone, Republicans included, would rather have a greener power source, of course, if it makes economic sense. And I think that's where the friction. And this is kind of interesting. I was on the Department of Energy's, the U.S. government, Department of Energy's website. Anybody can go there and just put in the search field. They're projecting, this is kind of interesting in light of what you hear you know, from our politicians every day, but our own U.S. government, the Energy Department, is projecting the demand for crude oil to grow between now and 2050. Now, their analysis ended in 2050, so I don't know what they're thinking in 2051 and to do, I suspect, higher. But the demand for crude goes higher from here all the way to 2050. Excuse me. So if you accept that, and, you know, the smart analytics seem to accept that, then this is a multi-decade undertaking, and maybe we're not being as smart about it as we could be. And the reason I asked you about the market and petroleum was, you hear about gasoline and heating uses for petroleum, but, you know, when you start to think about all the products that petroleum goes in, plastic products, I mean, I could go on and on and on. There are so many things that are made with petroleum products. And if that's more expensive to attain, if we cut back or if we have a hard time getting what we need to produce all these products, you know, what does that do to commodities and what does that do to the market? Well, you're exactly right. So that's a major input cost. And this is how sensitive the economy is to crude oil. Just a simple example. So, you know, we had high prices for gas back in June. July is historically the highest travel month of the year. And in July, following high prices in June, we consumed a million barrels a day less in oil in July as people just, you know, shut down. Well, what if you're in northern Michigan and you have, you know, a five-unit, you know, small bread and breakfast or something, and now people aren't driving to come see you? And it's a tax. No one talks about the tax, but it's a huge tax. When gas was up over consistently, you know, around the country, four, four fifty a gallon, that's like a half a point off the GDP. I mean, we're talking a twenty trillion dollar economy. That's a big deal. So there's just so many tentacles, you know, we call it kind of the tail risk. You know, what can go wrong after a headline policy that feels good? And you know, there's a lot that ties back to crude oil. And again, this is not to speak negatively about electric vehicles. I mean, we know that, you know, the big three are going after it wholeheartedly. Not to say that it's not a good plan in the big picture, but I think we're just going about it too fast because, yeah, crude's a bad thing. And look what happened to crude prices. You know, we kind of repositioned where we were trying to go as a country and prices went vertical and the oil companies get assailed for it. But it trades on a global market. You know, Exxon does not set the price of crude oil. The markets do globally. The Saudis do, the Russians do. I mean, all these countries that are major producers, Venezuela, you know, it's just not the U.S. And here's another thing, too, that I think no one ever talks about because it's not convenient. There's a billion people in China that don't have an automobile. But we all talk about the emerging middle class in China. Well, guess what? They're going to buy cars. There's a billion people in India that don't have air conditioning. You know, that's not all going to run on electricity or Rather, the cars are not going to be electric, all of them, right? Because they're too expensive. 
Mm-hmm. And you're going to have to burn fossil fuels to help people live in a safe environment, a cool enough environment in India. And there's a billion people that don't have air there today. So this is a multi-decade thing, as I say. We've been talking with Doug Adler, who is the Senior Vice President of Investments at Adler Wealth Management, Raymond James and Associates. Doug, as always, we appreciate you so much. Thanks so much for your time. Tony, my pleasure. Thank you. I'm Tony Conley. This is Media Business. We'll see you next time on the Michigan Business Network.